Jesus tempted in the wilderness, in the desert. This is not a magical, mystical vision quest for Jesus, as some romanticized interpretations would have you believe. As we encounter this story, we are thrown, perhaps, by the personified embodiment of the devil. We are thrown, perhaps, by the grandeur of the setting, the parapet of the temple. Have you ever walked along the top of a cathedral, on the rooftop of a cathedral? We are thrown by these things that sound really strange and grand and epic, but this story is utterly mundane. It's completely human, and it connects with the dailiness of our lives. The three familiar temptations are typically simplified into a lovely alliteration, and I do love a lovely alliteration. (laughs) Jesus is tempted in turn by power, prestige, and possession. And I could add, add another P word or two into the mix. If you take them all together, Jesus is tempted in three different ways by privilege, or by presumption. If you are the only begotten, the devil repeats three times, then you deserve this, this power or this possession or this prestige. It simply follows. Jesus is tempted by the privilege of presuming that he deserves something good. And there's a dailiness to that sort of temptation that I, at least, can resonate with. There's a dailiness to this temptation for us as individuals, for the church pretty much since the first day the church was born into being, for our nation We may also be thrown by the tidiness of this familiar story. It is at once epic in its scope. You can just imagine the film version as the camera pans to the parapet of the temple, and there stand Jesus and the devil. And yet, it also reads almost like a sitcom. You can read the whole thing in a matter of minutes. John just did that for us, in fact. It's like an episode of the Gilmore Girls, with its quick banter and clever repartee. The devil begins, if this, then that. And Jesus, with a perfectly appointed counterpoint. Devil again, well then, if this, then that. And Jesus, with a clever rejoinder. Devil again, all right, then if this, then that other thing. And Jesus, for a third time, stops the devil in his tracks. Mic drop. Cue the commercial. Or the closing credits. (laughs) Their quick and clever scriptural jousting comes off sounding inevitable and not real. We start to lose the humanity of the story as we read this familiar, clever repartee going back and forth. We start to lose its universality, its mundanity, and dailiness. You deserve this thing, or that thing, or all the things. Yes, you definitely deserve all the things, hashtag all the things. 
This is perhaps the single greatest temptation of any of our lives. And as I've been pondering the mundanity of temptation, I've been pondering my own uh, daily flavors of temptation, in addition to this temptation to privilege of presumption, I'm also tempted to believe the stories I make up in my head. This is a very common one for me. I am tempted to believe what I've made up about what other people are thinking or doing or meaning. I believe myself. (laughs) I am also tempted by despair in the face that of all of in the face of all that's impossibly hard and sad and infuriating about our world, particularly in these days, in the face of horrific politics and unforgivable actions of bigotry that seem to be growing among us, I am tempted by despair. But I'm also reminded of what Robin D'Angelo taught me. D'Angelo is a contemporary prophet, exposing the truth of white fragility when confronted with the reality of white supremacist structures both within ourselves and without all around us. And she taught me that despair is a privilege. Despair is a privilege that she, at least, tries to make a point of not indulging. Oh, my many mundane and daily temptations. In our Ash Wednesday service this week, we spoke a blessing over the dust with which we were then marked. It was a blessing written by Jan Richardson. And after the service, Jonathan called my attention to the part that had stuck with him. It was this. This is the hour we are marked by what has made it through the burning. Say it one more time. This is the hour we are marked by what has made it through the burning. What has made it through the burning. What a poignant framing. That's the ash, of course. What's left after the fire. The dust of which we are made and to which we will return. And Jan's blessing connects us to that ash, to what has made it through the burning. And we acknowledge in that blessing that we are what remains. I am what remains after the fire of my own life. We are what remains after the fires of our lives, the fires of our trials and our losses, the fires of our greatest fears and our temptations, our griefs. We are the ash that survives the flames. We are dust, and to that dust we shall return to that dust we are returning. And we are in good company with the dusty Jesus. The Jesus who was led into the wilderness having been named Beloved. Though it's separated by many weeks now, the story we heard today follows immediately on the baptism. This is my only begotten, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus led into the wilderness, having been named beloved. We are in good company with the Jesus who faced the mundane 
and ordinary temptation of the privilege of presuming that he deserved this or that by virtue of his belovedness. We are in good company with the dusty Jesus who at any given moment, and certainly at this moment in the desert, is what remains after the fires of his life. And into that dustiness, wilderness angels came to attend to Jesus. Into our own dustiness, what remains after the fires of our lives, angels often appear to attend to us. What a great story this morning of the angels who appeared in your dustiness. Or maybe the angels are always there, but we're more able to see them when we've been completely broken down, burned down to our dusty, fire-born essence. As we ponder these fires of our lives, perhaps like me and like Melissa, who we heard this morning, you immediately call to mind a moment in your life when you were so very broken and alone like no other time before or since. Or perhaps your own sense of brokenness and dustiness has been more of a constant more like a less-than-welcome companion along the road of your life's journey. And perhaps you're thinking hard, but realizing your life has been relatively free of struggles, and you wonder, perhaps with a vague sense of dread, whether or when your time will come. Whatever the case, I invite you to ponder the story of Jesus and its connection to your own life, First, where we started, what daily mundane temptations do you face? And those angels. In your own dustiness, whatever is left on the other side of the burning, who attended to you? Who attends to you still? And or... Who might God be inviting you to attend to? We're soon going to enter a time of silence, and we're going to do that for a full three minutes. Sounds short. It's going to feel long. (laughs) Remember that the silence we together seek is not the absence of all sounds but the quieting of some of the noise and chatter of our minds. And so I want to explicitly say that wiggly toddlers and fidgety kids, and for that matter, restless adults, sneezing adults, whatever, are more than welcome in this silence. And kids, as we enter into this time, the questions for you are the same, but I'm going to say it just a little bit differently so that you can hear them, kids. When you are sad... Who loves you and takes care of you? And is there someone in your life that you know is sad? Who might you love and care for in their sadness? And as you think of kids, as you think of people, kids, if you have a, a paper or pen or crayons or markers or whatever, 
Maybe you want to draw those people as you think of them. Or maybe even draw a picture for them. Who attended to you? Who attends to you still? Who might God be inviting you to attend to?